This podcast is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. A big thank you goes out to Adnan Isel, owner of Isellers Estate Winery. You can visit them at 615 Concession 5 Road in Niagara-on-the-Lake or check out their website at icellers.ca. Find out how you can support us like Adnan by visiting patreon.com slash twoguystalkingwine. You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Hello, Michael. Andre. How are you doing? How are you during this time? I am doing better. Let's just put it that way. Oh, good. <laughs> Last week, I think we, we finally spent some time talking about me falling down the stairs, so we don't need to rehash that as much as yeah, no. people keep want to talk about it. Um, we are sitting down for another episode that i know you're gonna tell everyone i am super excited about because it's all about because it's on your table 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 yep yep nope we were fortunate enough to sit down with uh grant and um casey casey sorry i forgot the name for a second sorry about that casey to uh talk about the lineup of chardonnay uh at westcott right now yeah four chardonnays that was that was more chardonnay than we did with thomas what a good day i'm not sure andre why I have to start a podcast about Chardonnay when you actually have the biggest heart on about Chardonnay going, but I guess I'll start it off. Uh, Andre, uh, today we have uh, with us yet another uh, producer of Chardonnay. Um, I, I think you're doing the the, uh, the scheduling these days. <laughs> um, we, we are with uh, Westcott Vineyards and uh, Grant and Casey. Uh, say hello, boys. How do you do? Hello. There we go. Um, so, Grant, let's start with you. What is your function at the winery? Um, I'm a co-owner with uh, with my wife, Carolyn, and uh, we, we, we started this endeavor in 2008, and we're very proud to say we're still here and continuing to grow and very much enjoying what we're doing. Now, I guess I should ask this question. What the heck made you want to just stick with Chardonnay and, and Pinot? Because those are the wines that Carolyn likes. All righty, then. Well, and I, love. I mean, if you, make, if you make wine, Michael, and nobody else buys it, you have to drink it yourself. <laughs> As Andre is doing now. Yes. And in all seriousness, though, it's... Uh, it's also we find that uh, the uh, the uh, the land in Niagara is ideally suited for for growing Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, and and uh, because our our strategy is is all about a great customer experience and and producing wines that we believe that can compete on the world stage, uh, we just deliberately decided to focus very much on a relatively limited number of grape varieties in order to build great deep competence and and uh, and do it well so we, our, our strategy is to do things deeply do them very very well and don't get spread so thin that you're trying to satisfy too many too many objectives and get uh, and really really accomplish so very the, little so so this that's is, the whole idea sorry so this is the first of two interviews that we're going to be doing with you uh, because as we did with Thomas Butchelder, there was just too much wine to taste through in one podcast, and we wanted to make sure that we didn't um, understate anything, rush through anything, and, and worse off, selfishly make sure that we weren't dumping any 
wine down the sink because we couldn't consume it all. <laughs> um, so we're going to be focusing on Chardonnay with this podcast, and then we'll be doing Pinot Noir in the um, in the next one. And uh, Michael, should we get into the first wine? Well, hold on. I'd, I'd like to first. Uh, we, we've met. We've met Grant. So now we got to meet Casey. But we could we uh, could now, put wine Casey, in our glass before that. Relatively new to the project, if, if uh, memory serves. When did you come on board? Uh, and uh, I'm going to kind of pose the same question. You kind of limited yourself as a winemaker to Pinot and Chardonnay. What was the draw to do that? Um, well, yeah. So I, you're, you're right. I'm I'm still reasonably fresh in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I've been here for. Just about two years, so 18 and 19 vintage under my belt. I came over in the, uh, the summer of 18, so that uh, was definitely a great transition. I would probably argue that I didn't exactly limit myself coming here with Pinot and Chard. I definitely think it was an expansion of opportunity. Uh, Pinot and Chard is something that I've always uh, found great interest and intrigue in. Um, it's also something that I find is deeply rooted in the character of the region and the place and the people who work with it. And when you come to a place like this that has as much passion and interesting vineyards, um, it's, it's, yeah, it definitely opens a lot of opportunities. So I, I wouldn't say I limited myself as a winemaker. I'd say I, I definitely expanded from where I was, if I believe that honestly. And, and where do you, where do you, where do you come, where do you come to us in Ontario from? Uh, I was previously, are you, are you uh, a BC native? Or are you? No. So I, I grew up in the, in corn and canola land up in a small town called Palmerston, Ontario. Jesus. And All right, Andre, uh, I know you're chomping at the bit. You've probably already on uh, wine number three, but let's uh, let's kick it off uh, with uh, Lilia, which is the only 2019 that we have in front of us. And uh, Casey can uh, describe the wine to us, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna pour at this end. Yeah. Yeah, I got a glass going here myself. Or tell us how it's made it, or or what what is Lilius, and what what's the the uh, where does the name come from? Let's start there. So the, 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 we've got four wines that are here that we call the ladies. Lilius is one of them. And uh, Carolyn has uh, always loved um, very strong feminine characters that, that uh, represented the, the, um, the 20s and 30s in terms of um, the, uh, the, 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 the softer sex. Um, Lilius is named after Lilius Mellon, was uh, was the uh, uh, Chatelaine of Riedel Hall. When uh, Vincent Massey's wife passed away, she she was her his his daughter-in-law, and um, Lilius used to accompany Vincent Massey, who was the first Canadian-born Governor General in Canada. She used to accompany him as he went all across this country in dog sleds and Ford trimotor airplanes and all sorts of other means of transportation. And she was just intrepid and she would do anything that the boys would do. Um, we owned a boat that she used to pilot and it was a 26 foot um, Dodge mahogany runabout that formed the basis of actually our logo. The, uh, the Westcott logo is actually derived from the, uh, the front emblem of that boat. 
that she used to own. So that's where where the origins of the name come from. The other three ladies are are uh, Violette, um, Temperance, and Delphine. And there's stories behind all the all three of the others. So there we go. Got it. Yeah. See, deep passion and and uh, very deliberate uh, concepts here. Again, that's why. That's definitely one of the reasons I, I, I was very excited to join the team. So, okay, so Lilius, uh, from a wine perspective, um, easy start to it is it's our, our unoaked Chardonnay. Uh, stylistically, as you noted, it's, it's, it's a young wine. This is a spring wine. It's meant to come with use, youth and vibrancy. Um, it's a wine that, uh, although young, I find tends to sway to the side of minerality, uh, it's more um, cerebral, uh, if I can use that term, than just, you know, kind of a, a fruit bomb early wine, and that's what we're trying to attack. It spends its entire life in stainless steel with, with pretty regular stirring to make sure that we're building some good texture. And, uh, yeah, it's it's you'll notice maybe when you open it, it has just a, a, a light spritz. Like I said, it's, it's, it's which adds a little bit to the texture. We consciously make sure that it's... Uh, yeah, very kind of tight, wound um, kind of wine that's going to bring forward that that spring feeling. So I'm I'm picking up some sort of uh, lees notes to it. I'm assuming it sat on lees for uh, for some extent. Yep, it was on lees. It's so it was on ferment lees right up until it bottled, and uh, with quite regular stirring as well. Like I said, trying to build some of that texture, really. And it's, Andre, are you uh, lost in this wine, or what's the story? No, it's nice. It's it's got really great texture, um, like as you picked up with the lees. And I know you're one who's generally pretty critical of unoaked Chardonnay from Ontario, but I, like I love it when you can build a bit of texture without uh, taking away from the fruit. Like this just hits all the right notes. Um, it's really like it, it's a naked expression of of Chardonnay, um, and I, I, I really like I, I really like I like it. Naked. And, and the reason is, if you're going to put lees in it, then you're then you're putting a little bit of clothing. You're putting a little bit of meat on these bones. Uh, naked would be totally stainless steel, and that's and that's it. But I think with the lees, there you you've built a little bit more complexity in with that minerality. Yeah. So, Andre, you seem speechless that I actually have things to say about Chardonnay. Yeah, but it's just like uh, I'm still not sure that that I that I agree with you because using lees, like you're using an element that's already part of the fermentation, as opposed to letting it age or, or uh, ferment in oak, right? But then, in case you can jump in any time here, yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just listening to you to uh, deliberate over the wine. It's lovely. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, so this also goes through a, a bit of mallow, but I would tend to sway to Andre's side. I think the Lees are definitely a winemaking tool um, that's not necessarily veiling anything. I think it's an opportunity to work with what is ultimately a necessary product of wine to help build texture. And, and But to, to, to Michael's side, I'm quite happy that hopefully it's not veiling the nose too much. We work really hard to make sure it still has that kind of vibrancy. Um, yeah. You know, while Andre was talking that I don't like uh, unoaked Chardonnay, and he is 100% correct, I am not a fan of unoaked Chardonnay. 
but uh, when it's, it's the same thing as that I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of Pinot Gris I, uh, or Pinot Grigio. I find it to be a very boring kind of wine. But if you do something to Pinot Gris, uh, i.e. Put, put it on lees, stick it in a barrel uh, for a little bit of time, uh, or maybe leave it on its skins to give it a little bit of a, a pink color, uh, you're adding something to that wine while not adding too much uh, to take away from its from its freshness. And what I like about the the Lilius is that although unoaked, I am not. It's not just a straight unoaked blah wine. There is you know the minerality. There's a little spice peach. There's a little bit of pear, but there's a subtle buttery vanilla note that almost makes you think it's uh, maybe some oak, but Knowing uh, being unoaked, that's why I asked about the lees. The other thing I might just jump in: um, the uh, we keep our yields quite low at Westcott. Um, we never crop Chardonnay at, at more than about two and a half tons to the acre, and in this vintage in '19, um, in, uh, we we were we were running at just just over a ton and a half to the acre. So there's there's lots of flute, fruit fruit. Um, we deliberately pick on on pH, so that we we uh, we are very conscious of making sure that we keep our acidity uh, where where we need to have it. Um, so we don't sacrifice uh, acidity for for bricks. Um, so the alcohol is quite quite low, and these are all tools of what what goes into our winemaking style that we do repetitively year in year out. The same same strategies, the same approaches. The fruit for the for this wine were drawn from from I think it's Westcott a little bit a little bit of Butler's, um, so this is your first exposure to our uh, our work with Chardonnay from Butler's Grant. Um, you'll get there'll be more of it later on in August when we bought when we bottle the vineyard uh, the the select vineyards from 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 uh, from Butler's, which is all in oak now. But uh, there we go. So just to add a little bit to the conversation. <laughs> You're always welcome to add into the conversation. So Butler's Grant, you now own that? That's correct. Got it. We when did it you take November. over Butler's Grant Vineyard? Pardon? When did you take over Butler's Grant? We bought it in November in November of of uh, 2018, just after harvest uh, that year, and uh, this last last November was our last uh, 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 our our. Well, the last fall was our very first vintage from Butler's. So 2019. That's correct. And you, I'm going to assume Casey's kind of excited because he gets two uh, two different vineyards to play with here. Oh, we're we're more than excited. <laughs> it's very uh, excited. Oh, right. uh, it's an extraordinary vineyard with a great great winemaking uh, history behind it, and uh, the vines we have vines there that are uh, they date back to 1980. Way, way back to the uh, the days of, of uh, the Jordan um, Wine Company and their experimental vineyard that they uh, they planted on that site, and then the the, the riesling that's there was was uh, from from um, Herman Weiss's uh, nursery, um, Anna Panachetti's father, and. Uh, and this, the W21 Riesling clones, um, where uh, we, we still have them. There's, there was, we have over almost six acres of, uh, of Riesling that, that, that uh, dates back to that, that age. So it rivals some of the oldest Riesling in Canada. 
And what, wow. what else is on that vineyard? There's uh, um, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Cab Franc, and Riesling. And are you going to be working? I, I, I know that I've got a Butler's Grant Riesling uh, sitting uh, behind me that isn't part of the podcast from Westcott, but are you going to be working with the other varieties that are planted there? Or, or do you sell yes. that up? We've 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 sold we've sold a lot of bit of, a little bit of fruit because there was all kinds of people who were looking to uh, to buy fruit from us. But uh, yes, we are going to make a uh, we've already made a a uh, our Delphine, um, which is our 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 Cab Franc based rosé that's already in bottle and being sold. That came from 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 Butler's Grant. Um, the Riesling we've got um, a number of different Riesling um, Rieslings under underway. The one that's already released was our first, and then there's a, uh, a Botrytis-affected um, Riesling that we'll be bottling later in, in August um, that we're quite excited about. And then the uh, uh, the Pinots and Shards, the Pinot vines that are there, are, are there's a there's a new planting of, of 10 acres of Pinot that's, that's in the fourth leaf, but there's an old planting that dates back to, to uh, 1988. So it's another group of old vines, and the, uh, we, the, the, we think part of the clonal makeup of that vineyard is, is 828, um, but there's, there's a number of different clones in there, that's for sure, um, which, is, which is, makes it very, very interesting. You get small clusters that are very tight, and you get larger clusters that are larger berries and a little bit looser, so there's obviously different clonal selections gone on there, so it's all very interesting. And then... Uh, and then the cat, the uh, Chardonnay that's in Butler's Grand is there's a there's two blocks in there that are they're really quite extraordinary when you when you actually walk in the in the blocks themselves because the the trunks are 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 huge and and uh, and the the, the uh, grapes that come from there are are extraordinarily interesting. So we'll uh, we'll catch up with you uh, later on when we get those those uh, barrel fermented and barrel aged Chardonnays. Um, into the marketplace later on this year. Oh, right on. Something to look forward to. Okay. Michael, have you moved on to the 2018 Estate Shard? Have I? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think? What, 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 do, you, what do we got here? I, I, I jumped ahead here while I was listening to uh, Grant speak there. Well, I hate to tell you, Andre, I've already jumped ahead to wine four, but that's okay, too. <laughs> You're an impatient bastard. I've I have questions for Casey, but I think Casey, first of all, described this wine. So this is obviously all estate fruit, which is why you call it estate, I'm assuming. Uh, yes. All, all of the Chardonnays are coming from exclusively estate fruit. Um, and I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't buy in any Chardonnay. So, uh, yeah, the estate is... I find this to be kind of a lovely representation of, of the shards we make here. It tends to be a little bit more generous and giving. Um, an interesting thing you're going to walk into with these three upcoming wines, including the estate, is there's been a small winemaking change with these wines starting in 2018, where we've moved um, all of our barrel fermented products to natural ferment. So this is kind of the first representation of what the Westcott microbiome can uh, present 
Um, and I'll be honest, it's it's I've had the opportunity to work in a, you know quite a few opportunities uh, with yeast at different wineries and in different climates and in different situations. And it's a pretty unique uh, microbiome here. The, the mallow in particular is a a pretty creative beast given the uh, kind of malic acids we can get in a given typical vintage here. So yeah. Well, Andres, you asked me my uh, my thought on this. I think it's got a nice creamy mid. Uh, it's got a touch of uh, a smokiness to it, a little caramel butterscotch richness, but there's also some lovely white fruit, spice, and white flowers. Over to you, Andre. It's it is unbelievable just how much te- texture there is uh, in this wine. I've got it um, chilled to the temperature I usually enjoy Chardonnay at, which is about somewhere between 12 and 15 degrees celsius but um for an that's on a radiator for god's sakes man pardon me that's on a radiator no no it's the way chardonnay should be enjoyed um just what a kettle no no it's 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 the way chardonnay should be enjoyed anyways you're 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 wrong as usual but whatever um i i just i have a hard time believing that this is entry like an entry level bottle uh there's just so much uh, value and texture. There's just a lot going on in this in this bottle. Um, you you hit the nail on the head in terms of, of the tasting note, uh, but it's just so perfectly balanced. Like all that fruit and spice and and vanilla and acid working in perfect tandem. Like for thirty bucks, this is uh, fantastic. Uh, I should ask Casey how long does it sit in a in barrel and how much uh, new oak does it see? So. Uh... Traditionally, the, the Chardonnays here are in barrel for about 10 months. We obviously uh, do some pretty exhaustive tastings throughout the year, making sure we're, we're monitoring their élevage, And we'll bring them out typically somewhere in the 8, 9, 10-month range. These ones were somewhere around the 10-month range. Uh, the new oak on this is, is you know, pretty low. Um, about 15%, I think. Yeah, so it's uh, yeah about fifteen to twenty percent new. Everything's French. Uh, we use all exclusively uh, French Burgundian barrels here. Um, now, again, I think uh, tr- trending wise in the vintages to come, you're going to see the new oak be closer to that range or a little bit lower. As you know, I think we're trying to express more the fruit that is coming from the vineyard and. Um, you know, to, to, to Michael's point earlier, sometimes oak can be a bit of a, a cloak to what's truly there. So, um, you know, we're going to we're going to be working and already are working with a little bit more um, aged oak uh, and, and the profile it can bring us. Um, yeah. And then, Andre, to your point, something I, I find really interesting when you talk about the textures, something I look for very very much in all of my winemaking styles is to bring texture to the table. I really love a wine that tastes, you know, balanced and textured and full and it has structure. So I'm always trying to find that point. And one of the, the greatest tools we have in um, the Benchlands uh, is we do have these incredible uh, Malik's that I spoke of early, which are quite a bit higher than anywhere else um, I've I've worked with in Niagara, and that swing from mallow to lactic is this amazing ability to create this texture, but it's not big, soft, flat texture. 
um, that you'll sometimes witness from uh, abundant leaves stirring or an aggressive um, mallow strain. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a great way to keep a liveliness to the wine, I find, um, without, you know, fattening or flattening it out with other methods. So that's been a great opportunity. Uh, it's something I love about bench fruit and have for a long time. So going to move on to the uh, to the 18 reserve, uh, which is labeled as Vine Mount, where the um, the estate is labeled as Niagara Escarpment. So I'm assuming this comes from an even smaller plot. Is that what we're, we're dealing with here? Yes. So this is exclusively two um, blocks off of the property here at Westcott. Uh, and they're both northern. We have we have a north and a south block here uh, at Westcott. The south block is not only south, but it's also south-facing. Um, and then the the northern blocks are uh, a little bit more undulating. There's a little bit more um, movement in those blocks, and they're just slightly more north of the winery. And these are both coming from uh, the northern portion uh, of the Chardonnay. Um, and then, yep, go ahead. And I'm always, I'm always wondering when people put reserve on the label because it's not a, a mandated um, term. What makes this reserve? So, reserve is really for us when we're creating these wines is an expression that best reflects Westcott. So it's not necessarily going to be the most lush barrels. It's not necessarily going to be the newest barrels. Um, it's realistically when we're in the vineyard, we're, we're marking off rows as the season goes on that are showcasing good natural reduced yields um, as we start to taste them and flavors development, you know, flavor development, interesting character. Um, to Grant's point, we're always tasting for acidity to make sure there's a good maintenance of acidity um, and as the season goes on, we pick the rows and blocks that make the most uh, sense and most expressive uh, portion of the vineyard that year. And then we work with them that way. And this would also be then um, 10 months in oak. Yeah, handled very 15, similarly 20 that way. 20% new. Yeah, so correct. Yeah, handled very similarly uh, from that profile, really just a distinction of fruit. Uh, one of the interesting things was we had a we, we had a really fantastic um, group of wines that we were able to keep completely unsulfured from beginning to end, um, and they they made it into this 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 batch as well, and that was uh, I think a fantastic sort of addition uh, to the to the layers of this wine. So this is really this is really Andre. I gave the tasting note to the last one. Why don't you uh, why don't you talk uh, up this one? You know, it's a little like the. Um... Like the estate, but in high definition. It's just uh, like the estate is already really well integrated, well balanced, and, and drinking great now. But this just seems to have every element um, amplified a little bit. Like the spice is a little bit more out there. Uh, Vanilla is a little bit more out there. And the orchard fruit and, and floral note are a little bit more out there. And while this is drinking great right now, um, I, I would think that with a couple of years in a cellar, it would just relax a little bit and you'd get just an amplified version of the, um, of the estate. Um, I mean, this is really great wine. It's interesting, Andre, cause you, um, 
you and I have a, a, a music background, uh, mine in radio, yours actually uh, creating music. Uh, but we also listen to music around, not around the same time, but we both listen to a lot of Canadian music. Anyway, I'm just, I'm getting off on a tangerine there. Yep. Uh, but I also did write Amped Up to 11 over the estate. Uh, everything was just heightened. Uh, the minerality was there. Um, you know, there, there was a, almost like a vanilla cream, uh, white fruits, peach. Uh, I, on the other hand, thought, thought that the minerality came through on this wine versus the estate where I didn't note any of that mineral note here uh it's a little bit um a, a little more more pronounced i think yep definitely got it well, <laughs> i'm starting to learn chardonnay andre uh you've always liked chardonnay you're just in denial about it but that's that's quite all right <laughs> uh, whatever you want to believe no and i mean i mean really, uh, really good i'm gonna move on Block 76, which I am kind of thrilled about. I always like, um, first of all, uh, Casey, when you said uh, wild ferment on all your Chardonnays, or uh, I think what you called natural uh, ferment, uh, I'm always a big fan of, uh, of natural fermentation, especially on Chardonnay. And they, for me, they, they hit a different note. Um, and so I, I've really liked what we've seen in the first three, but this Block 76 um, especially when you, when you when you barrel down into you know a specific part of the vineyard uh, is always exciting to me. So tell me what where block seventy six is and why you decided to um, basically segregate these grapes in particular. So so in terms of the uh, grant here, sorry, I, I didn't mean to. Uh... Well, I thought that's, I'd jump in here. Anyway. Um, that's okay. So I think we, we can we, tell the voices apart. I hope, <laughs> Casey. You better hope that's the case. Yeah. So we're we're uh, we're very very proud of our our vineyard here. It's a it's a vineyard that uh, it's taken a while to actually get to understand. Um, the 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 soils here are really there are three different types of soil types here. There's two uh, clay loams called Beverly and Cashel. And then there's a there's a the third soil type is is alluvium, and alluvium basically is is uh, riverbed. And the 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 18 mile creek runs through our vineyard, and the alluvium soils are right where right beside the where the, where the creek goes through. Obviously, the creek was the reason why it's alluvium soils. So you've got lots of stones and little bits of gravel and all mixed in with the clay. So when we when when Casey was here. Actually, Casey was the one who really is 100% responsible for where we are with this wine because we had previously been trying to uh, take a certain section of the vineyard and and trying to make a a, 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 um, a, a Chablis style wine. And Casey tasted the grapes, and as we were approaching harvest, um, he said, "You know." I, I don't. I think you're going about this incorrectly. We, sh we shouldn't be making a Chablis-style wine. There's just too much going on here. Um, in the the grapes are planted in this in this little block by the in the alluvium soils. He said, let's just let's just approach this as a as a as a uh, barrel fermented barrel aged wine, and and see what comes out. And the result is we think quite spectacular. Um, and so that's where the block '76 comes from. It's it's. Uh, Excuse me. The uh, the clone that's there is is a 
uh, is it, it is a, a Chardonnay 76 clone, but it's in the it, it's also planted in the in a in a very specific uh, uh, mineral rich part of the part of the vineyard. And I'll I'll give the rest of the of the of the parole over to to to, to Casey. Yeah. So uh, to Grant's point. I think it takes a very long time to learn a site and a vineyard and as a winemaker and also, you know, getting, uh, you know, the chance to, to work the vineyards as well. Um, you, you need to get as close as you can. So, you know, Niagara in general is a young wine region. We're a young winery and we're just going to continue to learn. So it's important to try and get through and taste as much as you can. And to Grant's point, these, these grapes were interesting. Um, the exposure is also very interesting. It's a southeast exposure. Oh, that's right too. And the curious part about these these vines is, despite them being southeast exposed, uh, which which you know performs very well during the growing season to really gain ripeness and character, um, in the winter it can be quite a challenging area. So, unfortunately, and fortunately to some extent, you know these these vines have have bared some winter and frost damage and thusly have actually been naturally fairly low cropped for the years I've been here, uh, which is something else I've noticed. So the concentration of fruit was fantastic. And this is amongst the first wine we, in the two years I've been here, we picked. In fact, we picked uh, Block 76 before most of our sparkling uh, this year because it, it is naturally that reduced in crop. So because we can pick so early and at what seems to me like this great flavor profile, we pick on flavor and acidity, we can maintain great acidity. Uh, so this particular wine, although 25% new oak, I, I, I think it shows a lot less than that. It's really well integrated. Uh, and, and another portion I really like with this is we're using large format barrels that are neutral um, and we're doing very, very little lees integration on this. We're really trying to keep this, uh, the lees to, to, to pull a reductive style and keep it uh, very tight and tense and, and really have this uh, more electric feel by comparison to, uh, say, the estate and reserve. Wow, if we're talking about, we're talking about clothing here. 25% new oak, not, not in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to ask, is it still 10 months in there? Yes. Yeah. Still correct. 10 months. Got it. Andre, uh, you and I have, um, unbeknownst to both Grant and uh, Casey, we have been texting back and forth about this uh, block seventy six. You know, I, I think uh, we, we did the we did the clothing analogy earlier. I said the the unoaked shard was naked, but I mean, if we're um, if we're comparing the the three chardonnays, like I'd have to say, like the um, the estate shard is like it's wearing a brand new, like crisp, flashy, like Adidas tracksuit, like it's. It's ready to party, but, you know, it's sort of like the dressed up ready to party. You know, it's relaxed and it's ready to go. And then we're talking about the reserve. Like the reserve is, um, the reserve, you're definitely wearing a nice suit. You know, it's not quite black tie, like maybe a sport coat and a, a nice pair of jeans. Like it's, you know, it's it's relaxed, but, you know, it's it's, it's out there to make a statement. And then uh, the Block 76, like holy this is like the James Bond of these Chardonnays. It showed up in a tuxedo. It is refined and elegant and just like, you know, everything that's great about fashion and everything that's great about Ontario Chardonnay. 
It's interesting that Andre is talking about uh, clothing, considering the man's not wearing any pants. <laughs> I will not confirm or deny that but statement. I, I know you won't. I know you won't. Um, th- this is a, a lovely... Uh, I, I'm not going to go as far as Andre with my uh, uh, clothing choices, uh, but I really... I, I have the most notes on this wine, and it just keeps uh, giving up something. Uh, when we were talking to Thomas uh, on the podcast about Pinot's, um, he somehow, and I'm, I'm not sure, Andre, why he does this, but he, he talks in in terms of uh, going out with a woman and whether she's going to give it up or not. <laughs> Oh, you mean when I had to explain to you the difference between love and lust? What was that? You mean the time when I had to explain the difference to you between love and lust? Well, that's one thing, but uh, he seems to always want to talk about her giving it up. And, uh, you know, again, with each sip uh, of the Block 76, this, uh, and, and Grant said it himself, he said they're the ladies. These uh, these ladies, uh, especially in the Block 76, uh, give it up one sip at a time. Uh, you know, uh, I guess to go with with Thomas's analogy, uh, you know, they take off a sock, they take off a glove, uh, they take off the kerchief from the head. You know, it's just you know slowly she's getting undressed, and as you go through this, you know, you're finding more and more, and I, I hate to say this uh, because it's going to come off wrong, but I really can't wait to like, get the bra and panties on this one. Oh, my God, Michael. <laughs> I can't believe I've left you spe- speechless, Andre. Oh, I was just waiting for Grant and Casey to, to jump in there, but I think you've left them speechless, too. So, well done. You've embarrassed all yeah. of us. Stop talking to us. Actually, they've probably hung up by now. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> well, because uh, they too are waiting for the bra and panty reveal. I, I guess before we before we wrap up here, then and and get ready for next week, and we're going to go through the Pinot Noir. Is there anything else that you uh, gentlemen wanted to add? And since I use the word gentleman, you know, I'm not talking to Michael. One of the sort of things that's been very interesting to us in the last few years particularly after we bought the uh, the Butler's Grant Vineyard and and the research that we did before we bought it and the research that we've subsequently done afterwards has is, is only strengthened this. But uh, you know how I, I'm sure you've seen some of the uh, um, the shows that and the explanations that come out of Burgundy where people, the, the Burgundians are, are extraordinarily uh, adept at being able to uh, explain why um, their vineyards deliver the kinds of results that they do deliver. They're really very, very good at explaining why a Grand crew is appropriate for this style of wine and why a Premier crew delivers this kind of wine. Or, and then even the village, they, 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 uh, they can, they're very adept at, or very, very, very good at uh, explaining the contributions of the soil types and the, and the, the climate and all that sort of thing. And, uh, and I, I don't think we're, it's it's very much, a, I'm sure, a sign of our maturity in Niagara where our ability to actually describe why does a vineyard do what it does to, to uh, uh, produce great or mediocre grapes, depending on the circumstance. Um, and uh, have you, have you, 
you guys are, you know, you're talking to all kinds of different people quite often. Do you, do you think that there's, there's, uh, we're, we're as good as we should be at explaining this type of thing? I think we're because just too- we're, we're devoting more and more energy to actually really understanding why does the vineyard do this? Like why, like the, the uh, give you an example, um, the, the Westcott home farm um, has extremely high calcium. And we think that has something to do with why our wines are able to maintain the acidity and the, the malic interaction that, that, uh, that Casey uh, uh, mentioned earlier. Um, Butler's to, to, some ex- to some extent is, is a classic bench, Niagara uh, uh, West Bench uh, vineyard that, that uh, people that, that know it, um, that have, and there's lots and lots of vineyard, lots of uh, winemakers who can tell you um, um, with, with, with great clarity uh, why they, they seek the fruit from butlers, whether that's, let's um, um, go all the way back to, to uh, Jim Warren and, and, and his days at Stony, Stony Ridge and, and other folks all over the place. There's many, many winemakers that, that will, uh, will, uh, will explain their, their experiences with butler. And so it has it has its its contribution. The soils there are more uniform. Uh, they're chinkakuzi and and uh, very deep, rich uh, um, um, clay loams. Um, and it's it's right next to Thomas's favorite vineyard, the Winfield Vineyard for 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 uh, uh, Wismer, and right next door, et cetera, et cetera. So um, anyway, I'll stop there and seek commentary from you. Yeah, no, no, it's it's interesting thing that you're you're saying. I think, um, like, just based on like, I'm I'm currently on uh, on a bit of a, a Burgundy adventure now. Like, I had a moment last fall when I was there, and like, just thinking about the great wines from on Ontario and what's going on. But I think the one thing that we're missing, um, and I, I I love the fact that you're thinking about it because I think it's going to be critical that there are people like you thinking about it. But the the one thing that we haven't really been able to see the potential of Ontario is, is with vine age. Like even our old vines are only 30, 40 years old where, you know, Burgundy's got a hundred year head start if we're just hitting the reset button at post phylloxera. Right. Um, so like, you know, it's, it's important that we have people like you and Thomas and, you know, our, our Terra kickstarting La Clos Jordan again. And, you know, the, the fact that we've got Niagara college and Brock all doing the research and stuff, but, um, I, I think it's going to take probably another 20, 30 years before we can really see what old vines really do to have a full understanding of what impact the soils have here and what our, our terroir fully expresses. But that's just my opinion. Well, Andre, I, I happen to just have uh, our friend uh, Conrad Edgebeck's book uh, right beside me yeah. uh, as we podcast today. And I looked it up. Now, his book is, is a little bit... Um, Dated. Uh, it was done in in 2005, but Butler's Grand Vineyard is, you know, obviously um, supersedes that. So uh, here's what uh, Conrad had to say about the vineyard. This outstanding vineyard just across the road from Stony Ridge Estate Winery was assembled from three properties in the late 1970s by Jordan and uh, Saint Michel Wines as an experimental vineyard. At the time, it was considered one of the best sites in all of Niagara. The vineyard is composed of uh, Chinquas. Chinquacuzzi, yeah. clay loam, yeah. uh, till, and the northeast-facing slope of the land just below the escarpment provides air drainage as well. So that's uh, so uh, back in 2005, 
Conrad actually believed it also was one of the best vineyards in uh, in Niagara, and I I, I believe it still um, it still holds that. And when uh, when I heard that uh, Grant had purchased it, I was uh, I was pretty excited because now it's under uh, his control, and and making uh, you know really interesting wines and you know single vineyard wines coming. Uh, I'm probably off. I don't even remember what the question was. How about that? Grant was asking if, if, if we're doing a good enough job uh, explaining like what, what impact specific sites have um, on what makes the wines taste the way they, they, they taste. And tactfully did not use the word terroir, which, as I've mentioned before, seems to be falling out of fashion. Well, I, w- I would say this as far as it is. Are we doing a good job? Um, we're, we're trying. People like Thomas are definitely trying. But you've got to understand that Burgundy's been at this a hell of a lot longer than we have. And we are, as, as an industry being, and when I say we, I say the Ontario wine industry, uh, they're trying. But we still need a, a, a lot more information um, before we can describe it. And, and we're, the descriptions we're doing are, are rudimentary, but... You know, somebody like Casey needs to spend, you know, 10, 15 years in that vineyard before he can actually speak completely about what he knows. And Casey, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I just so happen to be the same age as the old vines at Butler's. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll go with that. So let, let's say Casey gets to uh, to deal with that vineyard for the next 25 years. I think at that point he would be able to uh, probably start to describe what that vineyard is like based on Ontario's, you know, uh, microclimates and, and uh, you know, soil types and terroir, obviously. Uh, but I, it's going to take a long time for us to start describing these these vineyards but, but let me turn it around let me turn I, I think after you know he's just started with this vineyard i don't think he could do it um we are a very young wine industry we well, are just kind of at the cusp of understanding what we have here let me turn well, it around though let me turn it let me turn it let me turn it around though it's it's one of the things that makes ontario so exciting though because i've had conversations with winemakers in in beaujolais specifically where you know you have these regions in France that have well-defined regulations, rules, soil types, and history, but we're now at the point in the wine world where people want to be a little more experimental. And while I think there's even concerns about the BQA tasting panel and whether or not uh, typicity is something that we should be striving for as an industry, but we are free in Ontario to be a little I, bit I, more I, experimental I, with what we have planted and... Um, or, but that's just me. Sorry, I didn't hear anything you said, Michael. I talked over you because I wasn't done yet. Uh, well, I, I wanted to stop you there because I'm, I'm thinking typicity is not something we should be striving for. And that word, you know, every time I hear it, and especially talking about BQA, uh, when, they're, when they're looking for typicity in the wine, absolutely pisses me off to no end because okay okay okay, okay. i get it, i get it michael but that wasn't the point of of what i was trying to trying to say like i what i was just trying to say though is you know while we haven't completely defined what it is we're doing in ontario the fact that we're experimental and striving towards it means that i don't think we need to be in a hurry to define it right now and 
while it's very important that that wineries like Westcott have a focus on trying to get that definition out there, uh, I I certainly don't mind strapping myself in and waiting the 20, 30 years to see what the outcome is going to be. Because I imagine in 20 to 30 years, if global warming doesn't completely screw up our climate, we may see a lot less Cabernet Sauvignon in, in Niagara. And I don't think that would be necessarily a bad thing if it gets replaced with things like Cabernet Franc or Pinot Noir or Chardonnay. Can I just jump, I want to jump in for a second, and I'm going to argue a little bit with you, Andre, on that point. Um, we, 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 uh, we went to the International Pinot Noir Celebration in Oregon two years ago, and, uh, you know, it was, and we participated in a number of different panels, and it was a, just an extraordinary event to go to, and if you haven't been, you need to go. That's that's for certain. But the one thing that did strike me, we'll we'll go with you next time, Grant. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll all go together. Um, that's 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 a promise. The uh, the the one thing that did strike me about the Oregon producers, and remember, Oregon is actually, I don't think I think I'm correct in this. The Oregon industry is actually younger than us. Uh, they, they they're at about the same starting point, like the Let family yeah. and Irie were planted roughly the same, I think about 10 years before Carl Kaiser and Zeraldo, if, if my memory serves correct. But that the, sounds about right. I think that, uh, that Oregon is, uh, about, about our age and, and actually we're also in the same age as New Zealand is. Right. But the one thing that I can tell you is that all the panels that we participated in where you had Oregon producers, they were very much focused on, altitude they understood their soil types they understood exactly the the diurnal cycles and the influence of of, of overnight winds and the effects of fogs etc like they really understood what was going on and were able to articulate it and i was very impressed by that so that they could explain this is what makes oregon wine oregon wine and well, i think the, uh, i think, I that's, think that's, that's that's the I, I american I, uh, way of being you've got to say it with uh uh, I, I, I'm married to an American, so you know everything she says is with uh, authority, whether she's <laughs> right or wrong. Um, so that that is that is the American way. Um, they speak with uh, with an authority of what they they know, but they too need time. Right. Although I would argue that Oregon probably knew what they wanted to grow long before what Ontario wanted to grow. We were kind of throwing everything in the. We were throwing. Uh, every piece of shit at the fan and seeing what stuck. And we continue uh, to do that to some extent. Exactly. Well, the but, point, but the I point mean, I'm trying to say here is, is that they're, they're, they have much more as an industry, much more singular focus and much more deliberative ability, much more deliberate ability to actually explain what they're doing. Well, but I, Oregon, I, think, I think we should emulate that. I, uh, I, I honestly believe that, that, that they're, they're on a better track than we are. Oregon is a, Oregon is a great example though, because they, um, like the Oregon industry, based on my visit there as well, is you still do have a lot of people who are experimenting and a lot of people who have, uh, you know, brought their Chardonnay vines up from California. And, and there's a reason why it's it's taken a while for Chardonnay to take off in, in Oregon, even though, you know, coming from Ontario, talking to Thomas Butchelder and tasting, you know, Chardonnay from wineries like Drouin and Irie that have the, the proper clones planted on the proper proper sites. Like they do have a bit of a focus, but they're still... A, a huge amount of experimentation going on there, and uh, yeah, I think we're probably just we're probably just behind them in in terms of um, 
you know, catching up with that that knowledge. I don't know. I, I, I still think, I still maintain that time will tell. And we just need a little bit more time and patience in Ontario here. I'm a little bit more. I'm a little bit more. I'm I'm more impatient than you are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know what? The fact that you're impatient means that you're going to be pushing the envelope forward, and I think that's a great thing. Oh, thank you. So, Andre, uh, I know that we had to record this um, this outro, as they say in the biz, or extra. Which one is it? Extra or outro? I think they're interchangeable. Okay. Uh, so we had to. Um, record this uh later on another day because you really got into the chardonnay <laughs> i did get into the chardonnay yes 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 so uh i know you you totally enjoyed that and there was some really good chardonnay from westcott uh including that block 76 which i thought was really good you know though it, um i think the best part just about the lineup of wines from westcott is how well structured their portfolio is uh i I know some people will say that the worst feeling when they open a bottle of wine is when you get something that's corked and i completely disagree with that i think the worst feeling when you open a bottle of wine is when you feel ripped off and that block 76 at 45 bucks uh really does deliver the goods it does and and what we didn't ask was and i and i noticed this after while i was writing my notes about it that uh, it was. I wonder if it was called Block Seventy Six because it was planted all to clone Seventy Six or mostly to clone Seventy Six. I'm just not sure. Would have been an interesting, or was it just off the top, just named Block Seventy Six? I think it should have just been called Block Delicious. And on that note, I'm Andre oh, Brew from AndreWineReview.ca. Uh, check out our Patreon. Look for Two Guys Talking Wine. Patreon.com. Uh, we very much appreciate the support and thank you for taking the time to listen to us. I know there is a hell of a lot of online content available. Uh, so you can go back and check out uh, our Instagram, the respective Instagrams, Entre Wine Review and The Grape Guy, to check out our uh, our Chardonnay Day chat that we did last week. That was a lot of fun. And, uh, of course, um, at some point we're going to have to get back together with Grant to discuss his topics. He had some big topics there at the end that we just didn't get to. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. And as always, good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.